0: Hey, thank you guys so much for being with us this morning. I wanted to add one more announcement before we get into the sermon. We are about to embark on a little goal. And here's the goal community wide, there's a push right now. You might have heard of it called Pack the Bus. And this whole concept of Pack the Bus is for our MISD and for us to make much of the community in which we're around. Here's our goal. Our goal as a community of churches, also other different community groups in this area, is to pull together and do everything we can to see if we can come up with all of the school supplies that every student in MISD elementary school will need for this next year. And so our goal is to try to collect funds. Other churches are collecting um, actual items. Like First Baptist is probably gonna do like all of the crayons for all of the grades. And they're gonna all claim different things. They're gonna have their church members Bring in those items. I want to make this easier for everybody. Also, I want to see if we can make our funds go a little bit further. Here's my goal. I wanna see if we can raise $15,000 for this project. And here's what I would like to do. Instead of us going out and buying the things and bringing them back, here's my heart. If you will donate the money, we have a yellow school bus out there because literally we are gonna pack school buses with school supplies. So on the first day of school, these kids can walk in and every kid from every single background can get a book bag full of school supplies. But here's my heart. Instead of us bringing in the supplies, if we will donate the money, that way it's tax exempt and our church can buy it in bulk. Our funds can go so much further rather than you guys bringing in things. Also, they need things like 7,000 boxes of tissue paper. Let me go ahead and tell you. I don't want to store 7,000 boxes of tissue paper. And so I'd much rather go ahead as a church, us get that money and then order it so that every school in MISD can have exactly what they need. Y'all, when we sat down with the leadership at MISD as a church, we asked them, what can we do to make a difference in our community? And this idea was born. This is an Emmanuel idea. And in turn, it's so big. We invited every other church, every different community group to come together, but Emmanuel is the flagship. And so listen, I've written a check that my tush can't cash on my own and I need your help. And so please pray about that. We will do a love offering in your bulletin. It says June, but we're not traveling back in time. It's July. And so we're going to do that. I believe July 7th and the 14th, we'll take two love offerings on those days to help raise supplies for all of those students who could desperately use the help. Well, anyway, let's pray and let's jump into the sermon. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to call Emmanuel home. We thank you that there's visitors in the room. We thank you we have people of all different walks of life and backgrounds here, Lord. I pray that we can all unite over your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. Over the last few weeks we've been talking about different prophets and today we're looking at the prophet Jeremiah. Last week we talked about the prophet Isaiah, the week before we talked about Elijah, and we talked about Jonah. Now when we talk about Jeremiah, let me go ahead and get a couple things straight with you today, just to be honest with you. We're going to talk about Jeremiah chapter 1. And since I've been your pastor here, let me tell you that you guys have been so encouraging. And one of the most encouraging phrases I hear is how you felt like the sermon was was speaking directly to you. Some of you guys were very appreciative and some of you guys were a little not so nice about it. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Here's what I mean, though. See, we often talk about how the sermons can step on our toes or challenge us. We feel like, man, it is really speaking to us personally. I love that. Once again, God's postal service, GPS. I don't write the mail. Just deliver it. But let me go ahead and tell you this. Today, I feel like I'm reading. And this past week, I feel like I was writing my own mail. This is one of the nearest and dearest chapters in Scripture to me. And if you were to go into my office, you'll see it taped right to the side of my desk. Because every single day before I start work, I read this chapter to challenge me and encourage me to do the work set before me. But also, not to make up frivolous excuses as to why I can't do what God is calling us to do. So as we look at Jeremiah, if we read verse 1, we'll see the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Ananoth in the land of Benjamin. Now, saying that, I want to go ahead and throw this out to you. He was a PK. Now, if you're really grown up in church, you understand PK means pastor's kid, which typically means you have a bad reputation. Just saying, I am one. I have one. He's going to be a handful. I'm going to go ahead and apologize. and I'm kind of excited about it. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. He grew up in a home full of priests. He lived in a city. The city was full of priests in the land of Benjamin. So he was always around the temple. He was always around religion. And his dad was really almost like the LeBron James in some people's regard because he found, I kid you not, the law of Moses, which had gone in storage somehow and had been forgotten. And his dad found that and brought that back to life to the people, put that back on the forefront of their minds. And so his dad super respected. Jeremiah thinks he's just going to follow in his dad's footsteps, be a priest, do the same old, same old thing, do what's comfortable, do what's normal. And then we see in Jeremiah chapter one, that is not what God had called him to do. Listen, he was at a time where things were getting kind of crazy. They were under rule of the Babylonians and the Babylonians were rough. Let me go ahead and tell you, Jeremiah saw a lot of crazy things in his ministry. And God even says in his calling, when he calls Jeremiah to ministry, he says, I want you to speak to a people that aren't going to listen to you. And in the world's eyes, Jeremiah, everything that you do is going to be unsuccessful and unfruitful. How would you like that if you started a job and your boss said, listen, I'm going to ask you to do a job that you will never you will never be able to complete. Nobody will ever be happy with you. And you're never going to feel like the job is well done. Would you take the job? Absolutely not. But that's exactly what Jeremiah was called to. My Goodness. And so let's look at verse two together. To whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah the son of Amon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the day of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying. Now there was a whole lot of random words in there. I completely mispronounced, but you just got to fake it till you make it. And in the beginning and in the end is the meat of that. Now the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah. That was verse 2. Verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying. The first thing we're going to learn about Jeremiah was he was a chosen man. God had chosen him. God had appointed him. The word of the Lord came. Now there's a theme in the past few weeks of sermons if you guys remember. If we look at Elijah, the word of the Lord came. So Elijah went. If we look at Jonah, the word of the Lord came. So Jonah fled. If we look at Isaiah, the word of the Lord came. So Isaiah obeyed. But then we look at Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came. He was appointed. He was hand-picked to do the work of the ministry. And not only was he chosen, he was powerfully selected, but then also he was personally selected if you look in verse 2 and verse 4 the word of the Lord came to him to him in 626 BC is when this happened and at this moment he didn't get called he didn't get a church call he didn't get a parental call he didn't get a seminary call he received a God call that was completely tailor fit for him, for him to enter into a ministry of prophecy. This is so different than the priesthood. To be a prophet was a completely different assignment. And for the next 40 years, he's going to convey God's message to the people, although his message would not be fruitful most of the time, and he was continue to be faithful. Why? Because God had chosen him personally. And during his 40 years of ministry, hear this, Jeremiah would wear many hats. He would be called upon to be a builder, a destroyer, a pillar, a wall, a watchman, a physician, a shepherd, a tester of metals, a runner, and here's my favorite, and even a troublemaker. I can relate. I personalize that one. But not only was he picked personally, powerfully, he was picked precisely, Here, verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, I'm going to go on a side road just for a moment, and I'm going to get right back to where we're supposed to go, but hear me. This verse so clearly states that life starts at conception so clearly states it to me. Before I formed you in the womb, before you were even formed in the womb, I knew you. But the word formed, my goodness, it's so intimate there. I created you. I knit you together. I had plans for you. I say that. That's not the goal of this text as a whole to prove that life starts at conception. But that verse itself, let me go ahead and tell you, my goodness, you can't deny it. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And so in other words, what God is trying to say to Jeremiah is I'm getting you ready. And I started getting you ready for the world and the world ready for you before you were ever born. I think we always we always miscalculate, we always misunderstand all the things that God is doing to make obedience on your part possible, to make obedience on your part easier in order to pave the way for you to be fruitful in his eyes, not necessarily in man's eyes. And that's what God was doing in the heart and in the life of Jeremiah, but not just in the heart and life of Jeremiah, but also the nations. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. I'm getting you prepared. I'm getting them prepared. Parents, have you ever prayed for your future, for your child's future spouse? Have you prayed for your child's future spouse? If not, I challenge you to do that. But what he's doing here is the same concept. He's getting them prepared for what is to come as the two join in one, almost as a marriage, as the prophet in the nation. Come together with the goal of serving the Lord. So let's look at these verbs for a minute because I get a little nerdy about these. Before I formed you in the womb, the word form, this is a really intense Hebrew word. And this is so strong to say, he knit Together. He created. It's the same word that he uses in Genesis when it said God formed man out of the dust of the ground. This idea to devise or to fashion the maker, the creator, God knit you together. I believe that He personally had a hand in every single person's existence on this planet. And he decided exactly what you were going to look like, exactly what you were going to be like. I say that because God knows you and he cares about you. And that leads into the next one. He doesn't just form us. It says he knows us. He says, I knew you. In the womb, I knew you. See, that's a very intimate form Of the word. He knows everything about us. And when I think about this, I think about young moms. See, young moms, whenever y'all get Together. Here's what's interesting. You guys can say all of the most random facts about your kids that nobody else knows about, nobody else would ever think about. A mom can tell you every single detail about their child. Moms, today, even with your kids grown up, you can still tell me their birthmarks. You can still tell me their likes and their dislikes. You can still tell me what their personality is. And you could probably go into more detail than your child can. It's incredible. Let me tell you, when you get a bunch of young moms together, together. I just gotta leave because they're talking about stuff that nobody cares about. Let me just tell you. They, like, we don't. Like, yo, I'm, I'm so glad my wife has friends because when she shares all the details with me, it's just smile and nod. You know what I mean? Like, it is difficult because it's stuff that I just typically don't get excited about is how long he ate for or how much he weighed today. But my goodness, we're measuring down to the ounce every day. Mom's obsessed. Like, let me tell you, ya, y'all are intense. But here's, what I, here's why I'm saying it. And baby, by the way, this is all for a purpose. Anyway, I say all that to make a really good Jesus point. God knows more about us than a mother knows about their kid. And he obsesses about us. He knows everything to know God says that he knows the hairs on your head. See, what that means is this, he knows, he cares. And then later on in the text, we see excuses. And I love this. God just says, I intimately know you. And then Jeremiah starts to come up with these excuses as to why he can't be used. It's as if God doesn't already know. Like, I, I, I feel like sometimes we pray to God and we let him know things about our life, thinking that he will be surprised. Hey, God, God, did you know? that I struggle with this, oh my goodness, I had no idea. Man, I'm so glad you told me. I had no idea how hard your day was. My goodness, I probably should make life easier for you now that I know. Thank you for sharing it with me. God wants us to converse with him, but you can't surprise him. You can't surprise him. And when later on in the text, he's trying to explain who he is as if God doesn't know him better than Jeremiah knows himself. He forms us. He knows us. And then it says he consecrates him. He consecrates us. Before you were born, I consecrated you. That means to be set Apart to be given a purpose. Every Christian has been given gifts to be used for the honor and glory of Jesus. Every single one of you do not think that ministry work and serving the Lord is left for the professionals. First of all, there's no such thing as a professional. I'm faking it till I make it just like you are. Every day I'm just trying to figure it out. There is no such thing as a professional. Here's what there is. There is every single one of us called and gifted to follow after Jesus. We've all been consecrated, but then appointed. God appoints Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nation. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. See, this is why Jeremiah was born. This was his destiny, and we all have one. No Christian merely exists to make an honest living, raise a family, enjoy retirement, and die. Every one of you is called to a ministry. I heard an illustration once. If you've ever gotten into the Olympics, one of the craziest, one of the most ah, just viewed events in the Olympics is gymnastics. And the most viewed um, event in gymnastics is the balance beam. And we love to see these ladies get on this balance beam and they do crazy, insane things, don't they? They start on one end. Here's the rule of the balance beam. You have to mount on one end, dismount on the other. But as you make your way from one end to the other, you need to make that little journey look as cool and as awesome as possible. And then what happens when they finally finish? I need to unbutton for this one. As soon as they get off that balance beam, what do they do? And everybody applauds and they get their scores. Here's what happens though. Here's what I'm afraid of. See, I think that God has called us to live an audacious life where we serve him in big ways, when we do things that seem really wild, intense, and audacious for his honor and for his glory. But I feel like some of you guys are in the Olympics for Christ. And when you get on that balance beam, you go into straight fear mode. And what I mean by that is instead of going from one end to the other extravagantly living for Jesus in some big ways, you are straight up clinging to that balance beam, scooting along as good as you can, just, you know, praying that hey, God, you know, hey, I'll give a little bit of money to missions, but not too much. And hey, God, I'll just, I'm gonna hang on really tight here. But God, if you could like, just, could you call me just to stay where I am and never do anything else? And hey, God, could you live, call me you like to have just like a really simple, safe job where I could earn a whole lot of money and it would like never make a risk and never challenge myself. And oh, and God, when it comes to dying, if I could just die in my sleep and not even feel it, like that would be great, right? And we just inch our way through life and we finally get to the end of the balance beam and we look around and we're standing at the pearly gates and then we go, Do you imagine what your score would be like my goodness like if that was how we were gauged, some of you guys man I'm embarrassed like I would be so embarrassed because we try to live life so safely rather than to live life so faithfully I think there's a difference young men in this room can I go ahead and tell you something One of the major reasons why I resisted Christ at a young age is because I thought that living for Jesus would make me feel and look so wimpy. I didn't want to look wimpy. I wanted to be tough. And here's my deal. There is nothing tougher in your life than living for Jesus. There is nothing more masculine for a man to do than push away selfish ambition, to push away selfish pleasure and to cling to Jesus when nobody else is doing it that is what makes a man rough and tough and masculine find your identity in that my goodness I'm telling you when we are called to live for Jesus we are called to do some audacious extreme intense things that don't make sense to anyone else except for the Lord but that's the life God had called us to see Jeremiah wanted to go through life just kind of scooting along that balance beam, but then God called him from being a priest to being a prophet. See, the priest was completely different job. Priest was a routine job. Priest was all about tradition. And if you'll study what a priest did, it was just the same thing over and over and over again. A prophet's job was completely unpredictable. A priest represented the people to God. He took the people into the presence of God. But as a prophet, a prophet represents God to the people. See, a priest takes a group of people that want to get to God and walks them to God. A prophet takes God to a group of people that doesn't want him. It's almost like going from discipleship to evangelism. And the concept here is he's being called, hey, when you're a priest, here, here's the cool thing about being a pastor. No one's in this room that didn't want to be here. Like, I'm great. Like, this is the safest place in the world for me to talk about Jesus because nobody made you show up. Like, I'm so grateful. Unless you're under 12, don't raise your hand. Listen, nobody made you be here. You chose. That's great. We are united in heart. But a prophet goes into a group of people that wants nothing to do with the Lord and makes much of Jesus. And that's what he is being called to do. A priest had a regular salary. A prophet had no guaranteed income. A priest was interested in ceremony. A prophet, on the other hand, dealt with conviction. A priest was someone who comforted the people. A prophet confronted the people. My goodness, can you imagine what he Felt like. Here's this young man, 20 years old, who thought maybe that he was going in one direction, into rather a comfortable career, and then all of a sudden God calls him in a completely new direction to do something completely audacious. So not only does he call him personally and precisely, but he also calls him particularly, I can't say that word, but you know what I'm trying to say, particularly close. Jeremiah wasn't just set apart for salvation, but for vocation. And see, we read in verse five, he's ordained, he's appointed, but then he starts to make his excuses. He starts to come up with all these excuses. Now this, I heard about this church the other day, and I'm not kidding. This church in Oregon decided to come up with a concept they called No Excuse Sunday, and they wanted to get all of their people that attended irregularly to show up on the very same Sunday. So they said, we are gonna get rid of every excuse for no excuse Sunday. So they placed cots in the foyer for those who said, Sunday is the only day for me to sleep in. They put steel helmets and bulletproof vests for those who felt like the church would be unsafe. They got blankets furnished for those who said it was too cold and fans for those who thought it was too hot. There were hearing aids for those who said the pastor spoke too softly and earplugs for those who said this pastor spoke too loudly. Scorecards for those who wanted to keep track of all of the hypocrites present. There were TV dinners for those who said they couldn't go to church and cook dinner too. And here's my favorite. Golf clubs were available for men to practice swing during the pastor's sermon in the wings in case they needed to get warmed up before their game. You can tell I don't golf. Is it game? Is it game? I don't know what you call it. That thing. Now, these excuses are excuses of selfishness and pride. But Jeremiah's were truly excuses that were a little different. They were excuses of insecurity. And when we look at Jeremiah's excuses, I don't think his excuses were completely petty. I think he's really letting his heart open up and saying that he's concerned. He doesn't feel Equipped, And so he talks about his inability, verse six. Then I said, oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I am only a youth. I don't know how to speak. That number one fear in America is public speaking. I don't know how to speak. Once again, he's trying to give excuses as if God doesn't know these things already. God absolutely knew he was young, and he didn't have practice. He didn't have education. He didn't know how to do what God was calling him to do. But God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And sometimes we have to get ready on the journey. See, we have to get ready on the journey. See, I used to travel full time. And for four years, I was always on the road, and we, I always had four guys and four girls I traveled with. And here's what used to drive me crazy. My girls would always make us late until finally they would learn that if they could get ready on the way, life would be better for everybody. If they could do their makeup on the way, we could still start to get where we're going while they were getting prepared. And I think that's what God's calling us to do sometimes. God says, you don't feel equipped and you don't feel prepared, but the equipping will come with every step in which you take. When you start moving, I start equipping. I'm not gonna equip the lazy man who sits on his bum and just complains about how horrible life is, but I will equip the person that decides to get up and starts to move in my direction. The closer you get to my will, the more equipped you feel. My goodness, I think that's what we're called to do. And to hear me, some of you have been waiting to do the will of God because you don't feel the equipping of God. You will feel the equipping once you begin to move towards the will. I believe once we start moving, that's when we start to feel the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, when we start working within the Holy Spirit. He doesn't equip the call. He calls the equipped. Y'all, I remember one time I was struggling with my calling. I didn't feel like I should be a pastor because I didn't feel equipped. And a buddy of mine told me this. He said, Sean, God doesn't call the equip, he equips the call. And here's the thing. I think God does want you to be a preacher because if you ever had a good sermon, everybody would know it's from the Lord because you're a dork. I appreciated that. You guys didn't have to laugh so loud either. You should have looked a little shocked. That would have made me feel better. But here's the truth. The truth is that that's exactly how every one of us can feel. But the equipping comes when we start to move. I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. He brings up his immaturity. It's funny because young people always want to deny the fact that age is a problem until they can use it as a way to get themselves out of trouble. But also, it's also something you bring up when you get really insecure. Guys, can I go ahead and tell you I knew that when we were calling in a pastor that would be 30, it was a little unnerving for everybody. I was fully confident that God was going to equip me to do it. But then there have been days where God's called me to do hard stuff here, difficult stuff here, uncomfortable stuff here. And I sat there in my quiet time in my prayer closet going, God, I'm too young for this. What are you doing? I don't want to deal with this right now. I don't feel prepared, I don't feel equipped, I don't feel like I'm educated enough, I don't feel like I'm experienced enough and that's why this sits on the edge of my desk every single day, because verse 7 but the Lord said to me do not say I'm only a youth for to all to whom I send you, you will go, and whatever I command you, you will speak don't be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. We see these obstacles and we see how God calls us to deal with the obstacles. Don't pay attention to the obstacles. Pay attention to verse 8. Don't be afraid of them for I will deliver you declares the Lord. Don't pay attention to the obstacles. Pay attention to the equipper. Pay attention to the Savior that's leading you in the direction towards His will. That's exactly what we need to keep our eyes on, not on the problem. We keep our eyes on the solution. Don't say I'm only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you will go. And then we see how he starts to equip in verse nine. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. Verse 10. See, I have set you this day over the nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plan. He had a big charge. And there wasn't going to be success in the world's eyes, only in God's eyes. And that's who he was called to impress. And when you see this text, he says, I have set you over and I have put your words in my mouth. You want to know why we can serve faithfully? Because it's not about you being smart. It's not about you being talented. It's it's not about you knowing what to do. It's all about you representing the savior that called you to the place in which you're going to serve. Listen, in a moment, I'm gonna open up the altar. Listen, if you need to talk about baptism, salvation, joining the church, whatever, I'm here. But also, would you take a moment to assess where you are on that balance beam in life and assess the posture in which you're making your way from one end to the other. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be together. God, I pray that you will help us to be bold. You will help us to have faith. You'll help us to trust. You'll help us to recognize that there's nothing about us that you don't know. You formed us. You knitted us to complete your purposes for our lives. So I pray we will find confidence in your equipping. We love you. In your name we pray.